never going to go. Whew. The presence of God. I don't know about you guys, but I felt like it sounded like a thousand people were singing in here this morning. Did anyone else feel that? I'm like, God, have you got angels joining us right now? It didn't feel like this kind of crowd. His presence is here in a big way. And obviously, like I always say, he's already in us. He walked in with you this morning. He's been walking with you ever since you gave your life to him. But there is definitely an increase in what God is doing, even with us, in our, in our gorgeous little church. So let's pray, because I honestly don't know where I'm going to stop today. <laughs> I don't know how far I'm going to get, because I just know God wants. I want to kind of get out of God's way as well. Um, so let's just pray. Father, we thank you for your amazing, amazing presence. We thank you, Lord, that, uh, that you are here with us, Lord, that you are speaking to us, that your word will reign supreme in our hearts and in our minds and in our lives. Lord, we surrender ourselves. We submit ourselves yet again to truth. Father, we, we humble ourselves and we honor your very presence. We thank you that uh, we have the privilege of being your children and God, I pray for you to have your way here this morning. Do something in us, Lord. I pray, Father, that I would get out of the way so that you would come and be here and you would be uh, fully, fully um, present in everybody's life. Father, you know every single situation that walked in here this morning. You know every circumstance. You know every problem. You know every issue. You know every burden on every heart. Lord, I'm just a vessel up here to, to bring something that you've deposited in me. But Lord, we're not here to hear this, Lord. We're here to meet with you. And so, Father, I ask that you would come and, and be present and powerfully, powerfully invade every single one of our hearts, myself included. And uh, so we give this service over to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, here we are, week three of the anointing the anointing series and as we've talked about over these last couple of weeks the anointing the anointing will actually is the manifest presence of god and it actually demands a response from his people when the anointing of god comes in and i'm going to encourage you guys if you haven't been here for the last two weeks or if you've already sort of forgotten a little bit about what was preached can i encourage you to go to the, the podcast and, and listen back again and grab hold of some of those scriptures and verses and really meditate on them and, and, and think about what, what God is saying to us through the verses that we've brought. But you know, when the manifest presence of God comes and it's like I, I've been saying, the anointing is always with us. There's actually an anointing within that teaches us and counsels us. It doesn't replace coming to church and sit, sitting under the teaching of the word of God, but it is anointing within us that speaks to us and shows us how to make right responses and, and corrects us. But when, when there's a, a, an external kind of manifest presence of God like we've been feeling, and what well, you may, please let me clarify, you may not have been feeling anything, okay? Um, like I've always said, Brahm rarely feels anything but it's, that's got nothing to do with anything. But believe me, I can feel him. I can, I can barely stand at the moment. It's, it's so thick and so powerful. And I know he does this for a reason. And he, he's coming. And he's, when, when the manifest presence of God comes like this, it does demand a response in our lives. 
Things begin to shift and to shake when revival hits your life. You know, last week we began to look at different uh, things that, began to, that begin to stand out when we are in a, in a place of revival. And I don't know about you, but I've been praying for revival for our nation for, for many, many years. Who else here might have been doing that? Yeah. And um, we've been praying for a revival. I'm telling you now, we need something to shift and to move. You know, revival is a biblical, a biblical term. There were revivals throughout Israel's history. There had to be, and all that is is a people of coming back to the truths of God and coming back and repenting and humble, humbling themselves and allowing the Spirit of God to minister to them, for the Word of God to permeate their hearts and for, for them to be able to keep that revelation of God alive in their hearts. And so there were always revivals throughout the, the Old Testament. And it, throughout church history, it's no different. There have been revivals, a revival of God's word. And in fact, in Psalm 119, there are so many times where the psalmist is crying out and saying, revive me according to your word. It's the word of God that revives us. It brings life. Remember Hebrews 4.12, it is living and it is active and it is able to separate the soul from the spirit. It judges the thoughts and the intentions of our heart. It cuts through soul from spirit and it takes away all the rubbish. That's why we have an anointing within that can speak to us because we have, we've been born again by the incorruptible seed of the Word of God. We have the seed of the Word of God in us that is wanting to live His life and live His truth, truth through us constantly. And so it's there within us wanting to speak and that is the anointing. The anointing is on the Word of God. It's not rocket science. It's not some super spiro thing. It's the reality of what the Bible tells us is happening. We have him on the inside of us. We have, we've been born again by that incorruptible seed. And so his word is alive within us. So every time there's a, there's a going back to the truths of the word of God and there's a true humbling ourselves and a true repentance and a true desiring for the truth of that word, there'll be a sense of revival. And we might go, wow, suddenly the Holy Spirit has come, has chosen now to come on the, on, on the nation of Australia or, or on our families. No, he's always wanting to do that. He's because he's always wanting to confirm the word. He's always wanting to work with the word. He's always wanting and looking for anyone who will trust the word of God and will respond to the word of God. He's always there ready at a second's notice to move and to demonstrate who he is. So revival isn't this kind of lofty thing that we think, oh, are the wind's gonna blow? Oh, maybe we're the generation that missed out. No, we might be the generation that misses out because we don't hunger for the word of God. So if we hunger for the word of God, I tell you what, the spirit of God is attracted to that. Because his, one of his main roles is to glorify the son, is to glorify Jesus. Well, who is Jesus? He is what? The Word made flesh. So anytime we start to get excited and stirred up by the truth of the Word of God, the Holy Spirit goes, wow. He's like a magnet to that. And he'll come to that and he'll say, let me, let me demonstrate how true this Word is. Thank you for asking because now I want to show you who Jesus is. That's what happens. It's kind of that simple. And we labor and we strive and we struggle and we go through years of what we feel is dryness when really the whole time it was sitting, revival was sitting next to our bedside table. 
or catching dust in the lounge room, or maybe we've never even bought it, it's still at Coorong. Okay? So things begin to shift and shake when revival hits our life. The revival of the word of God. We start to look different. We begin to stand out. And uh, believe me, when Brahma and I were born again, oh my gosh, things shifted and it shook so much. Did we stand out? You better believe we stood out. But you know what? In a good way. We read the scripture last week from Luke 4.18 that says the spirit of the Lord is upon me when Jesus was standing in the synagogue and he had the book of Isaiah handed to him and he began to read it. And as he began to read it, we read last week that their eyes were fixed on him because the word and the spirit speaking together, oh my gosh, can you imagine? And it goes on afterwards, all were speaking well of him and wondering at the gracious words which were falling from his lips. And they were saying, is this not Joseph's son? In other words, we know this kid. He grew up. He's the carpenter's son. In fact, he's a carpenter now. They knew who Joseph was. They knew this little boy that had run around called Jesus. Isn't he Joseph's son? But see, people could start to see when the anointing was there. They might not have known it was the anointing, but they definitely felt the anointing. It's very obvious and uh, we can see, even as leaders, and I mentioned this last week, we can see how people are responding to the dealings of God, to the commissioning of God. Because it's like there's a touch of God on their lives. Like a, the hand of God is beginning to move, to shift and to shape people. You know how we recognize it? Because we've gone exactly that same journey. We've walked this journey of the formation of leadership. We still walk that journey. We will never stop work, walking that journey we go to be with the Lord in heaven. And like I said last week, it's not just about God send me, which is great. Let's all cry out, God send me, use me. But we need to understand before the sending comes the dealing of God. Yeah? Before the commissioning comes the burning and before the releasing comes the breaking. So today I, I've titled my sermon The Anointing because it's part of this series. He plants... He uproots because he always leaves a trail. You know, we can walk in revival every day of our lives. Like I said before, the, the seed of revival is already in us. We are born again by that incorruptible seed, the word of God. So in other words, the journey of revival, being revived in God, can be constant. We read last week the scripture, um, it says in Hebrews that he never leaves us, nor does he forsake us. He's with us constantly. So the in you anointing, that anointing that you carry on the inside of you is always in us. It's a permanent thing that has been given to you and I. In fact, the Bible says it's the seal of the Holy Spirit. We've been marked like a signet ring on hot wax. There's a, there's a, there's a seal, there's a mark, a, a, an invisible mark and a seal on your life. The Bible says that we've been sealed by the Holy Spirit until the day of redemption. It's always there. It's permanent. It's with us if we will stay with him. So the only variable, in fact, is us. It's not him. He's not the variable here. We're the variable. You know, there's a metaphor that we could use that you, you can't have a rainy season going 24 hours a day for the entire time of the year. You can't have that. And yet the Bible says that we are meant to be like vineyards. We're meant to be like fruitful trees. It says in Isaiah 61.3 that we are in fact trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. 
That's how God, through his biblical language, that's how he identifies us, that's how he, he, he uses that metaphor for us to, to be able to learn something from. However, a healthy tree needs the rain, and it doesn't always rain, does it? However, how did God make trees? He gave them the incredible root system where there was a tap root that knows how to go down deep to find the water underground. So even in the dry seasons, even in the parched seasons, there's something that knows how to go so deep to be able to draw from the, from the water that is running, the deep waters. So water is there all the time. And um, that is constantly walking in revival. That's what it's like for, for us. We can do this. Even when it feels like our, our city, our community, our nation, our world is so far from, from the revelation of God, you and I can go deep into the rivers of God, into the waters of God. Because remember, the water of God is in us. It's flowing in us. It will be in Him, a river of God flowing to eternal life. We can go to that water all the time and draw, even in what looks like a dry period, because we can keep the revelation of God alive in our own hearts. It's amazing, you know, last night I was, as I was preparing and, and um, I listened again to the podcast from last week and I began to pray and it was incredible, this intense intercession, spirit of intercession came on me again like it has probably only two times before in my life. And... It, <laughs> Within five seconds, it went from zero to 100. And once again, I was driving in the dark, thank goodness, down, down the freeway. No one could see me, and, uh, but the Spirit of God took over me. And, and the burden, because it was talking about this next generation, uh, you know, the burden for the next generation is, is incredible. And so part of what we're talking about and uh, we've talked about the last two weeks is the commissioning of God, the calling of God. And I'm beseeching you guys, please listen to God's calling. Not my voice, not what we're preaching about, but hear it in your spirits. Hear what the Spirit is saying to you. Hear what God is doing because my grandchildren's generation needs you guys to respond. It's not even about your generation anymore. It's about the next generation. They are going to be so far gone. They are so far from the revelation of God. They, all they see is hatred and anger and rage and devastation all around them. Who are they going to look to to see the revelation of God? Where are they going to see the kindness of God, the love of God, the outpouring of His Spirit? Where are they going to see that if your generation does not respond to the call of God? There needs to be a response. It's time to humble ourselves, and I speak for myself as well, to the true brokenness that releases the perfume of Christ in our lives. Because like we've learned, he won't and he cannot anoint the flesh. So if we think that we can build the church in the flesh, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. We've already learned that the anointing doesn't anoint flesh. The anointing oil in the Old Testament was never allowed to be put onto flesh. So let's have a look. What are the first signs of revival? Let's go over these again and reiterate the first signs of revival coming into our life. It is the presence of God. It is the power of God. We can feel the increase in our worship time. It, it will be in the worship. He will come. It's not an it. It's Him. It's as if heaven breaks into our earthly existence. He says, He will never, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That's Him, not it. It's him. He's here. He will never leave you nor forsake you. 
You know, I feel like I've, I've always sought after and experienced times of personal revival with him. I remember even when we first became Christians, and by this, we still weren't baptized in water. We weren't baptized in the Holy Spirit yet. We weren't going to church because it didn't occur to us to go to a church. We were brand new believers. We didn't even know we were believers. Like we didn't know anything. We weren't in church. We, didn't, we just knew that Jesus was Lord and that we could pray to him. And something gripped my heart. And I'll never forget, Brahm and I went to his, his sister's house and it was this little thatched house in the, in the midst of this tiny, very, very poor spot in Bandung in, in Java in Indonesia. And, and in this horrible, ugly little, you couldn't really call it a house, it was a hovel, a hut, you know, with a toilet that had a, just a, literally a hole in the ground, literally just a hole in concrete. It wasn't even, there wasn't even a proper looking toilet seat on the ground. It wasn't even that fancy. And, and if you go to the toilet, you could see through the thatched areas, you could say hi to people walking past. Like it was that crass, right? And, and I would gladly stay there. And I remember we used to have prayer meetings there. And, and uh, my brother-in-law at that time, he was shocked to see me, this bule, this white Australian rich person, as he would have seen it, down on my hands and knees, scrubbing the concrete floor, getting the place ready for the prayer meeting that we were going to have. Because my heart was already captivated by heaven. My mind was already captured by him. There was already an anticipation. This is in 1979. There was something in me that was already being grabbed by him. And um, I remember sitting on the bed and Brahm and I would begin to pray in a, in, a, in a bedroom that was probably like from here to here. It's probably about two meters wide and possibly two and a half meters deep and tiny little bed. And we sat in the bed and we began to pray. You know, God, God turns out God can visit you anywhere. Turns out Jesus was born in a manger in a, in a, in a um, stable. Well, his presence will come anywhere as long as he finds anybody who's looking for him. If we long for him, he will come and his presence will come into our lives. And I remember being in that place. So you've got to remember this is a tiny hovel of a place where in the kitchen it was like an upturned cardboard or a box of some description with a, like a, a little portable heater on it and we would cook there. There was no light there. It was, it was unbelievable. And here I am, you know, I've come from this expat family living in a huge home with five servants going to the Australian embassy all the time. But I would rather be here in this place right now because Jesus has gripped my heart and somehow we're on a journey that is following Jesus in this powerful way. Nothing matched that moment in my life. Nothing. And I'm sitting there on the side of the bed and the two of us are praying. And of course, we don't know how to pray. I'm learning from him. He's the most religious thing you've ever heard back then with his long hair and green velvet pants on. And, um, you know, he's grown up Dutch reformed. He's, he's pretty much withdrawing from his Dutch reform upbringing, which, by the way, I thank God for. It put the word of God in him in a powerful way that many churches nowadays don't in our kids. Anyway, so he's praying, and I'm learning everything from him because I don't know how to pray. And as he's praying, I, I could hear his voice, and then gradually his voice began to just fade. 
And as his voice faded, I, I literally, I literally heard music. And I literally heard singing. I heard a choir. And I heard a choir singing the Hallelujah Chorus. And it was the most, I don't think I'd ever even heard that song before. I don't know how I knew it, because I hadn't been raised in that environment, but I heard it. I heard it as clearly as I heard the singing today. And I heard, and then it would, you know, hallelujah, hallelujah, and then it would go up, hallelujah, hallelujah, and it just kept going up and up, and there were hundreds and hundreds of voices singing this, and all this harmony. It was the most exquisite thing, and I could hear the orchestra, and I could, I, I could not hear Brahm anymore. I was pretty much experiencing a trance. I was in a trance, because in a trance, you block out from everything and you have a vision. Now, I couldn't see anything, but I could hear it. And there were tears streaming down my face. And then gradually, that began to fade. And as the music began to fade, Brahm's voice, his voice droning, cute, 1979 Christian voice came in. I'm like, oh, I'm back. <laughs> but that was okay. But that was the most incredible moment. Thank you. Thank you so much, Brad. And, um, but you know, that was a moment of personal revival for me. When I got, just a year later, I was baptized in the Holy Spirit. And I know many of you have heard this before, but just for those who haven't, and believe me, this doesn't happen to everyone, but I'm giving you my examples. I, I can only draw from my testimonies. But they are so real. And when I was baptized in the Holy Spirit, as they prayed and as the first moment I opened my mouth and I began to speak in tongues, I felt electricity go from here, the top of my head, right down my spine, right down my back. And I felt it. It wasn't imagined. I wasn't making it up. Why would I? Why should I? Um, but it was real. So his presence comes into our lives. Now, he might visit you in a different way. He probably will. He doesn't visit Brahm like that. Brahm's had other ways where he'll be listening to the word of God and I'll watch him. I'll watch him. The word of God speaks to him so powerfully that he, he's almost drawn to tears and he'll get on his knees and just put his hands up and worship God. That's what, it's like the word of God literally brings my husband to his knees. So that's the presence of God. He comes in. He's real. This is not something that we mentally ascend to in our brains and with our knowledge. We're here to meet with him, with a person. That's what revival starts with. It doesn't start with anything else. It doesn't start with religious responses. It doesn't start with, I have to do this, I have to do that, I have to perform this way, I have to perform that way. It doesn't start with, I better wear this, I better wear that. You know, I remember being in a church that was so blooming legalistic, I was told I needed to wear a petticoat, I had to do the top button up. And I'm like, seriously, really? You know, as if any of that was going to matter. If this, as if, if God can't change me from the, hey, the Holy Spirit stopped me from sleeping with my boyfriend, I think he can tell me how to dress appropriately. Like, we just, this is, this is the stuff that we, we need to encounter him. It's his presence. He's so amazing. The other thing is, and I said this last week, that we will love our enemies, and that will mark this new season. 
This is what John Steele said to me just a week and a half ago. He said, this is what happens when revival comes. And remember, he's gone through two revivals in New Zealand. He said, any variances in our hearts towards our enemies, and he won't come. See, the Holy Spirit anoints our hearts when they're tender-hearted, when we're free. We will, we will find that we will love people who, it's not that we just love people, we will love people who have hurt us. We will love them. We won't be able to explain it, but there'll be this overwhelming love for them. We just want to bless them. Where's that coming from? That's coming from him because he's invaded our hearts. We will want to forgive anyone who has ever hurt or harmed us. Because remember, he cannot anoint flesh, the flesh of anger, of covering that real pain of judgment. Not judging motives, but examining and passing sentence on someone, saying that they owe us something. That all goes. That all goes. Forgiveness is probably the, 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 the hallmark of revival. Now, does that mean that we have to wait for every move of the Spirit before we can forgive? No, of course not. Do you see how this is something you can walk in personal revival every single day of your life, but it hurts. And it, there's a cost involved. You know, we heard this amazing testimony last week from Charlene. I really thank you, Charlene, for sharing that and for allowing that to go up on the podcast. That is going to bless so many people. But you notice when God, as she moved in faith, straight away, God led her to forgive someone from so many years ago. Did you hear that? That's, where, that's what it is. That's, that is. That is going to that place of the anointing of God. It's forgiveness. It's letting go of what is owed to us. The love of God begins to be poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. It says that in Romans 5. You know, this is exactly what God spoke to me the, that morning. Do you remember I told you about a dream that I'd had? And as I walked in, God began to speak to me in, about the dream. In fact, I brought the dream with me and, and uh, I found it the other day and I don't think I've ever, in the last 20 years, I haven't said this publicly. I've kind of kept it close to my heart. But I'm going to read you the dream that I had and this was at the end of 1995. We're talking almost 24 years ago. And this is the dream. I was walking along a dusty road with a whole group of Christians behind me and all around were jet fighters dropping firebombs. We knew it was friendly fire and that they were trying to destroy the enemy that was hiding nearby, trying to get us. However, we knew that we had to keep walking in case the fire got us as well, um, as we knew that if we, if we got too close, we'd also burn. It was only meant for the enemy. So think about that. The fire was only meant for the enemy. Eventually, we got to a lake on the side of the road and everyone sat down and dangled their feet in the water, thinking that that would protect them from the firebombs. They chatted and laughed and talked about normal daily things. I stood on the road and I looked at them in amazement and I still can see the road. It was, it was the driest, most barren, leafless, shrubless road. It was desert. And I stood on the road and looked at them in amazement and said, what makes you think having only your feet in the water is going to protect you from the firebombs? Come follow me. I then continued to walk up this long hill and I came to a huge pool complex. Absolutely no one was there. I ran inside and I dived headlong into the water of this very deep diving pool. As I came up, I looked back to the entrance and I saw busloads of Christians arriving, ready to dive into the water too. Now, I mentioned a few weeks back how I'd been talking to someone very close to me 
one of my close relatives, and we'd been in the car and I was talking to her about forgiveness. And I could feel, I could feel the heart of God and the, the favor of God as I was telling her. And she really started to get it. And I was thinking about the power that is in forgiveness and I was telling her some of my own journey in that. And as I came walking into the, into the service at about five to 10, I was mulling over this and I was thinking, wow, this is, this is going to be a hallmark of what God wants to do in his people. And as I stood here in worship, all of a sudden, it's as if the Holy Spirit spoke to me and said, this is your dream. This is what, this is you with the dream. This is where you're leading the people of God to that place of forgiveness. This is what needs to happen. Because the fire of God is there to deal with this junk in our lives. But if we don't go to the place of repentance and forgiveness, we end up getting destroyed by the very thing that was meant to destroy the stuff in our lives. Does that make sense? In fact, Jesus clarifies it in Matthew 18. He wants to bring freedom. He wants to give forgiveness. And he gives this parable of the story of the wicked servant who is forgiven everything by the master, but then he finds somebody that he can't forgive. And when the master heard about that, he said, I showed mercy to you when you should have, and you didn't deserve it. He said, now because you're judging and doing this very thing to your fellow servant, I'm going to put you in a place of torment. So the very thing that he was meant to be freed from became the very entrapment of his soul. You see, when we don't go to the waters of repentance and forgiveness and just letting go and letting God's truth wash us clean, we stay trapped in the very thing that we were meant to be set free from. And that's what the dream is about. The fire of God comes to destroy the wickedness that has entrapped our lives. The stuff that's been done to you and I, the fire of God is there to, to purge us and to cleanse us, the purging fire of the Spirit of God. But if we want to hold on to unforgiveness of the very people who caused the pain in the first place, we will never actually get free. And we'll wonder why are we still stuck in this prison, not just a prison, but we're tormented. Why are all those other Christians getting free? Why are they getting touched by God? Why isn't the river of God touching me? Well, it must be heresy. It must be fake. It must be false. It's, it's a demon flowing. Because there is such a root of bitterness in our own hearts. It blocks us from really seeing what God is doing. And God is saying the whole time, stop dangling your feet in a little bit of forgiveness. Let's go to the deep waters. Let's go to the deep pools of forgiveness. Let's find that place. John Steele said to me, not only his presence will be the first sign of revival, but loving your enemies will be one of the first signs of revival. You can't love an enemy unless you forgive him from your heart. And that will be one of the first signs of revival. And as I walked in, God is showing that to me. And remember, I told you the story, as God is showing that to me and I'm standing in worship and I'm bawling my eyes out thinking about this dream, Ella Cogger, bless her beautiful heart, who was standing pretty much exactly there, came up to me in the stand and greed and I'm in this, having this moment with the Holy Spirit and she says, die, die. And you know, she was new in our church, probably felt a bit intimidated and, or maybe not. <laughs> um, but she said, die, as you walked in the door, God gave me Isaiah 43, 19. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Shall you not know it? I will even make a road in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. She gave me that scripture on that morning 
at that moment as God was showing that to me. Now, it sounds very subjective, but you know what? I know when God is speaking to me. And I know God is wanting to take us to that place. And I remember in 1995, and you know, for the last two weeks, I've been telling you a little bit about the, the chronicles of revival. And I've been telling you about the, um, <clears throat> the things that God did. And uh, in 1995, just before this dream, actually, I experienced um, incredibly deep healing in the presence of God and forgiveness for people who had really hurt us. And I look back now and I sort of think if I hadn't have gone through that revival in my own heart, and really what was it a revival of? It was a revival of the truth of forgiving and letting go of the pain. But if I hadn't have gone through that before we started this church, because it was only a short three years later that we started the church, I actually don't think I could have lasted the next 20 years of, of building this church. I think my heart would have been too crushed and um, instead of being able to continue to love and to, and to forgive, I, I needed something, I needed the anointing of God to transform me and he did in that, in that moment. And then, like you've heard me say before, these last few years, the same thing happened again to us both and um, to both Brahm and I. And, but this time, I let the healing of God take place privately in my car, in my little hallway. If anyone's seen our house, it's as tiny as a shoebox and it's made out of weatherboard. So if the visitors, anyone comes to the door, they could hear me inside. So I literally go into my prayer closet, which is our hallway. I shut all the doors, close all the windows, and then I ball into my hand so that it's muted. And um, many a time I have, I have done that when I've had to let go and forgive someone well, I've just got in my car and I've had a, I've had a prayer cry, a drive, driving prayer cry, and um, just letting, letting the pain out and letting God heal my heart. And, um, you know, I remember it was just last year sometime, I almost lost it here at church because, you know, you can feel, just like you guys say, your heart beats faster and you can feel God stirring something and you don't want to come to the front and you, you can feel God doing something you don't want to let go. I know what that feels like. You know, last year I remember sitting in the front here and my heart was beating fast. I, tears were just literally behind my eyes. I wanted to let go. But I know it would have been ugly. If I'd let go, it would have been so ugly. And I remember telling Ben afterwards, and I said, Ben, I nearly cut loose in the church. Today. He said, why, why didn't you? And, um, and looking back, maybe I should have, but at the time I thought, no, that would be so freaky for everyone here. <laughs> Suddenly seeing their senior pastor just down the front, losing it, but hey, anything's open now. Everything's up for grabs now, right? Who knows what's gonna happen? So if I'm a blubbering mess down the front one day, just leave me be, okay? God will be doing something. Um, but the anointing of God inside of us heals us. And I believe what God has done over these last few years is has brought something that possibly would have blocked the fruitfulness of the next 20 years. I think, you know, coming face to face with deep-seated hurt um, is, is a painful thing. Nobody wants to feel pain. You know, but many people are a heart of heart and have a root of bitterness. But you know what? God won't visit that. He wants to uproot it, but he won't anoint it. He doesn't, he doesn't just um, sort of pretend that it's not there. He gets his scalpel out and he digs. I want us to open up our Bibles to um, just have a look at Malachi. And, and let's see what I believe God is probably doing. 
Malachi is the very last book of the Old Testament. And in chapter 4, verses 5 and 6, it says this, Behold, I am going to send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. And, and obviously we, you know, John the Baptist said basically that he was the personification or the manifestation of that. So obviously there's some sort of anointing that's going to sweep through the world that will have that same kind of anointing that brings people to the place of, of, of repentance and forgiveness. But then it says in verse 6, let's look at the heart of what is coming. This is the last day's anointing that is coming on the earth. He will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers so that they will not come and smite the land with a curse. I believe there's such a restorative, such a powerful restoration of people's hearts that is coming. And it'll happen here. It's going to happen elsewhere in the world. But there is, there's a move of God coming. Because no amount of teaching, we can listen to all the sermons in the world, but in the end we need the Spirit of God to come and make those sermons real in our hearts. We need the shifting and the shaking and the moving of God in our hearts. And we need to partner with him because no one wants to feel pain and no one wants to face pain, but it's essential if we want to grow and walk in the commissioning of God. The other thing that John still said was the compassion will be part and parcel of this move. People will walk in and he will feel his love. And you know what that will look like? It'll mean we'll, we'll all stop putting ourselves first. That's what it really means. We stop putting ourselves first. Empathy and compassion will consume our hearts instead of self-pity. I think empathy and compassion has, is sort of slipping away from many Christians in the body of Christ. This whole thing of, I want my rights, I demand my rights, I want, you know, I, I need to see what God's going to do for me. I'm angry with God because he's not doing this for me. And No, 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 no. Empathy, compassion. It's going to consume our hearts. We'll know what it is to lay down our lives for other people's needs. You know, that's what Acts 1 verse 8 is all about. Don't even think about building my church until the Spirit of God has come upon you so that you can testify of me by showing that you can even lay down your own desires to be a blessing to other people. That's what it's all about. And, um, you know, many times over the years, I've spent countless hours with people and many of them are unthankful and very ungrateful people. It's true, but that's, that's the way. That's what we do. We keep giving, we keep doing it. But every time I do it, I do it as if it was Jesus, because Jesus said, every time you do it to them, you do it to the least of them, you're doing it for me. So I take that seriously. And I figure God sees, as long as I'm doing it, who knows the, so, the words that I'm sowing, maybe that will, that will spring back up in their hearts again one day. You know, I remember, in 1981, I'd only been saved for two years and I was at the Melbourne Children's Hospital going in to pray for a friend's baby. And I was, I, we were in the children's ward and there were babies everywhere. And there was this little, gorgeous little Down syndrome baby boy in one of the cots. And at that particular moment in time, there were no nurses around. They were out of their station or something. And I was there with my friend and with Brahm. And I felt so overwhelmed with the love of God for this little boy because there was something quite, um, he was very sick and uh, there was something wrong with him. And so I went over and I laid hands on this kid's now, kid. Now, probably now that would be illegal or something. But, <laughs> but, 
you know, I, I was very bold and I just went over and I felt consumed with love and I just laid hands on him and I prayed that God would begin a restoration process in him. And then about three or four years later, that same friend called me and said, Diane, you're not going to believe this, but that little boy that you prayed for, he and his family are being featured on Four Corners on the ABC at the moment because the doctors are amazed and astounded at the progress that he's made in spite of what's going on with him. Now, I'm not saying that's just because I prayed. I'm sure there were other factors involved, but, you know, who knows? I guess I'm not really going to know until I get to heaven. And, um, but, you know... That's what happens when empathy, when he takes over, when he comes into our life. You know, he bears witness with us that in our spirits that we are children of God, that we are loved by God, that the love of God can permeate. And John 14, 18 says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. So when we know this for ourselves, there is no longer an orphan spirit in our hearts. We feel his compassion we feel his acceptance, and when we do, we can feel compassion and empathy for others, for other people who are taking this journey with us. You know, the last two weeks we've learned that God wants to anoint us to commission a generation. And so there needs to be a release of new leaders for this next season of impartation from the Holy Spirit, if this generation will respond. And, um, you know, as I'm excited. I've heard this week that there are several people, quite a few people that are digging up their old prophetic words, their old prophecies and going over them and looking at them and saying, God, what are you saying to me? What have you called me to? So my question is, what is God calling you guys to? What is he asking you to step up into? As God wants to stir and he wants to move in our nation, in your lives, in your communities, what is he calling you to? My grandchildren need you guys. Your children are gonna need other people in your generation. We're going to need a whole community that knows how to respond to the calling of God, to the, to the commissioning of God, in order for us to raise up another generation that is desperately going to need it. You know, he anoints us not only to commission, but to, to his love. He awakens us to that first love. And like I said last week, that Brahman, I felt that love. Oh my gosh, you know, 1 Peter, 1 says, even though you have not seen him, you love him. And that's exactly what it felt like. I was almost giddy with love. You know, when I met Brahm, I, I felt I was so in love with this man. And um, you heard me last week, I said he was cute three times, I think. And, uh, but I was so in, I was in love with him. But the same thing happened when I met Jesus. It consumed my whole being. And the same with Brahm. We were consumed with that love. But you know, when we have religion and head knowledge, it's going to block us from knowing that sort of love. And yet how many people fill our churches that don't know that love? They've never met that kind of love. Jesus is just head knowledge to them. He's historical. He's historical information. He informs us for our behavior modification in this day and age. He tells us, yes, this is how we should live, but then so does the Dalai Lama. What difference is there if we only know him as head knowledge? Seriously, what's the difference then between that and Buddhism? If it's all about peace, loving fellow man, like seriously. See, the Dalai Lama can't live within you. The Dalai Lama and other gurus and other, other, other men, religious men, no matter how good or nice a person they are, they can't live within you by the power of the Spirit of God. 
They can't dissect your heart and rip it open and put it back together again. They can't come in and make you feel like you are a child of God. They can't come in and literally evict that orphan spirit that says you don't belong to anyone. And they can't come in and say you belong to me. They can't do that. Only the Spirit of God can do that because of Jesus. Jesus is not just a historical figure. He is God in the flesh. He is the Word of God in the flesh. And He does live within us and in our hearts. But we can't know that sort of love unless we let Him invade our hearts. And so many of us, so many of us, even people sitting here, you've never encountered that love. I know it. I know it. And it's devastating. And we look to things, we look to substance abuse, we look to people, we look to addictions, we look to, I'm just talking, generally speaking now, this is what people do. They become reliant on other relationships. They become addicted to their work. It's like there's something that they're always longing for and looking for. But he was here the whole time, ready to invade. And I'm telling you, when he invades, you don't care about anything. You don't need five minutes with Di. You don't need five hours with Di. You don't need to feel loved by anyone because you're so consumed with a love that consumes you. It's amazing to know that kind of love, but religion will not do that for us. Handed down information about Jesus is great and it's good, Paul talks about the generational faith that goes from one generation to another. But in the end, you and I, every single one of us, have to grab hold of that and believe in our own hearts and receive them. When we do, the love that invades our hearts is all-consuming. It's all-consuming. Maybe we've never really known him. But when we do, when he awakens us to that, we are awakened also to the touch of God on our lives. And we start to see his ministry through us. And no one can contain that. I actually think I might finish there. I just want to pray. There is so much in my heart that I want to give, but I know we can only take so much and I don't want to miss what God is doing. And I just think, let's open up our hearts today. I'm going to ask the music team to come up and Joel, let's sing. Do you think maybe Child of God would be a good song to sing? The one we sang before, I'm a Child of God. Yeah? No, no, no. I want to sing a Child of God, whatever we sang earlier. I want us to begin to ask God because he will leave a trail in our lives. But maybe he has to plant something. Maybe he has to uproot something right now. And there's been a lot of that going on over the last few weeks. I don't even know if I'll give an older call today unless you want to come up the front, you're really free to do that. But I think God's going to do it right where you stand. Let's all just stand. Let's sing this song. And I want this to be your moment with the Lord. I want you to sing this. I want this to be your cry out to God. Because there needs to be a commissioning of your generation. 
but it can't happen until you know who you're representing. Oh, Jesus, we just love you. Let's just, I think God wants to invade our hearts with his love this morning. He literally just wants to consume us with the love. He wants us to yield ourselves right now to that kind of love, to that all-consuming love. I love what Josh got up and said today. It is the love of God. Religion cannot re replace it. Rules does not replace it. It's the love of God. It's the love of Jesus. Let's sing this song.